0: Hi everyone and welcome to Teaching for Dummies, the teaching podcast where we investigate the ins and outs of the teaching world and it is my absolute pleasure today to be with Sam Reynolds and Elizabeth Carr, two amazing teachers and I am looking forward to talking about performing arts. Woo!
1: Yay!
0: Hi Sam, how are you?
1: I'm good, thanks. How are you?
0: Yeah, great, thanks. And how are you, Elizabeth?
1: Oh, I'm fabulous.
0: Fantastic. This is not scripted, people. We are just going off the cuff today. <laughs> uh, <laughs> oh, look, the reason why I want to talk about performing arts in particular is because my lovely fiance Elizabeth, is a performing arts teacher of many years. And also my good friend, uh, Sam, is... I almost forgot your name then. Is
1: <laughs> great is, is,
0: uh, is a terrific performing <laughs> arts teacher. And I think that You know, in my experience with performing arts and teaching in general, that often, you know, the specialist subjects, uh, they play a little bit of second fiddle to the core business of literacy and numeracy. So I think today, performing arts deserves its own podcast. What do you think?
1: I think that's great. Thank you, you, Brett. I could not agree with you more.
0: (laughs) So I thought we'd kick things off by just finding out about you guys and your backgrounds in teaching. So how long have you been teaching for, Elizabeth?
1: Um, I've been teaching since 2009. So I don't know how many. Is that 11? That's 11 years. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, 11 yeah, if years. If that
0: maths is anything to go by, Gosh, how about you, Sam? that
1: makes me feel so old. Um, <laughs> I have been teaching for
2: how long have I? Eight, nearly nine years.
0: Nine years. Wow. Yep, yep, yep. So I've got yeah. a few years on you guys. But have you always been in government schools?
1: Yes, I have. Yes.
0: Yeah, so no yep. private schools, no alternative learning centres or anything like no. that. no. No? Okay, no. cool. And what about how many different schools you've been in? Well, you might have to count that. I, <laughs> I was counting mine before. I've had one, two, three, four schools.
1: Well, I've been at the school that I'm at now for the bulk of that time. I did a lot of CRT work when I first finished uni, so I did nearly three years of CRT work. Yeah. Um, so in that time I was in a lot of different schools, but the school that I'm in now I've been there since half full-time since halfway through 2012 wow yeah a long time
0: <laughs> yeah and what about you sam
1: um
2: i've only been at two schools um so my first school i got an interview at um as a six-month contract was then made ongoing at that school and then felt that i needed to expand my horizon so i went to the school that i'm currently at and that's that's me
0: yeah and um i know you guys haven't always taught performing arts what else have you taught
1: um well I started like I said I started CRT so I taught everything then I did a three term contract as the visual arts teacher, which I was terrible at. I was so bad at it. Um, I was just, it was the joke of my family, really, that I was in visual arts because I'm the least visually artistic person that anyone's ever met. But what I learned doing that is that you don't need to be good at visual arts. You just need to have a grade five, six who's good at it that can do all of your examples for you. And then you can use that going forward. But um, after that, I taught grade five, sixes for. Four and a half years, and then now I've been doing performing arts. This is my fourth year yeah, doing
0: wow. performing arts. How did you find transitioning from being a classroom teacher into performing arts?
1: Oh gosh, it was It was interesting. It was. It was interesting. Yeah, to say the least. <laughs> co- we, <laughs> we can come back to that.
0: Prepared to say any more than that? We can come back to that.
1: Sam, what yeah. what grade levels have you taught?
2: Um, so I just taught grade one two. So I was put into um, my first school which I taught with Brett at and, um, yeah, it was grade one, two for the first three years and then a performing arts position came up at that school um, and so I applied for that. And the transition, as you were saying, for me wasn't too bad. I actually didn't mind the transition when I was internally at the school. It was actually when I left and moved to the other school that I found the transition to be very different and very strange. So.
1: Well, your school mm. that you were at, Sam, you had a performing arts program already in place, yes? So you were moving, yes. from, you were yeah. moving departments. Yeah, my school – so Sam and I are both um, primary performing arts teachers mm. and my school didn't have a performing arts program at all. So when the curriculum changed from, oh, gosh, what was it, Osvalds to Victorian <laughs> Curriculum yeah, yeah, yeah. and performing arts became like a mandatory subject area, there was a big push in the arts – Uh, that that was, you know, coming forward, I was asked to move because my pre knew that I had such a passion for performing arts. So he asked me to move uh, into this position and I had to build it from nothing. There was nothing. I had a room. That was it. I had no curriculum except for, you know, the Victorian curriculum. I had no (laughs) resources. I had to go through all the different classrooms and try and gather whatever manky musical instruments from 30 years ago they had in there. I just – I had nothing. I had a a few costumes that were left over from past productions, but I had absolutely nothing. So that was an – yeah, that was an interesting transition. I did spend the first probably two terms – of when did I move over, 2017, 17, 18, 19, 20, yeah, 2017, going, what have I done? Why did I leave my my beautiful grade five, six position that I'd been in for so many years and was good at? Yeah. Why on earth would I leave that, you know? But it's, it's gotten better since then. <laughs> it's much better <laughs> since then.
0: Just for the viewers at home, um, Elizabeth counted those years on her fingers. Well, uh, I'm a performing arts <laughs> teacher. <laughs> um, so
2: I found that being the case, moving schools so the school that I was previously at had a very strong performing arts community so that was already built into the curriculum Um, unfortunately moving to the new school they had a strong music curriculum but they didn't have a strong dance and drama curriculum it had only been at the school for two and a half years before I had got there so um, there wasn't much I had a couple of costumes probably some charade games and that was about it so I then regretted moving. I was like, oh my goodness, what have I done? I could have just stayed in my cushy performing arts job that I had at the other school, but it's been really great because I've been able to build something that's now my own and that I can develop, which I'm sure that you completely feel the same way, Elizabeth.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And so how did you move forward going from, both of you seem like you went to a position where you had no resources, well, not much to speak of, and um, how would you move forward from there?
2: A lot of it is donations. I had to You had to work on a budget. I know that I don't really have a strong budget at my school. I think it's only about $2,000. So a lot of op shopping, a lot of donations from the school. Concerts were a big thing um, at our school, and they had a lot of costumes for those kids, um, but they were all sort of the same. So if you wanted anything different, you you didn't have much. So, yeah, op-shopping donations from parents was a good thing. Yeah, that's what I've been doing so far.
1: Mm.
2: Yeah, imagination too is a good one.
1: (laughs) I think I've moved forward with a lot of trial and error. So, in my first year, I don't think I did a very good job at being a performing arts teacher at all. And I must have gone in with such an ego on my shoulders that I was going to be good at this because I loved it and because I had been teaching five, six at the school for so many years and I was under the misinformation that all the kids at the school knew who I was because I'd been there for so long and because I'd taught grade five, six for so long. And then when they came into my room, they were all just looking at me like, who the hell is this chick? Like, (laughs) and and that was a real big hurdle that I had to cross. In terms of resources, um, drama notebook is amazing. It's a subscription, um, it's a subscription website that I've gotten a lot of resources from and ideas for games and stuff for drama and you know the internet is a wonderful place you find things that are useful and you trial them and then you find things that aren't so useful and you trial them as well and and you modify but I suppose the good thing now is that having been in the position for now four years I've reused a lot of things that I've already done and made them better and you know you've got that sort of two yearly cycle that we all kind of work on and we can reuse things and modify them and so now there's not as much having to you know reinvent the wheel i've already got the wheel and now it's just you know trying to make sure that it's still running properly or how to uh use it in a way that fits the cohort of kids that you've got that Mm. year but then you know COVID, and it all went out the window so uh, we we had grand plans for this year but never mind
2: I was just about to say, um, Bushfire Press is also a really good one, Um, Mm. and well, Dance Room is a part of Bushfire Press, but there's a lot of stuff that you can get from there, particularly dance, which I love. I'm more of a drama teacher than a dance teacher, so dance isn't as strong of a subject. I've seen Sam dance, so
0: that kind of makes sense. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> sorry, sorry, Sam. Uh, so, Bushfire Press. You know, I reckon I've used Bushfire Press myself. Um, I did. They, they do, like, kids' plays and things like that as well. Is that yeah. right? Yeah, yes, yeah, they yeah, do. definitely. Yeah. They were great. I re- remember running a couple of uh, Grade 5, 6 productions, and um, I, I hit them up for, for some scripts because when I was a young child, my performing arts teacher did that as well, used Bushfire Press. So. It's obviously yeah. been around for a very long time. It's a very good resource.
2: Yeah, and it's um, developed and changed with all the different curriculums that we like to have here in Australia, and it's been good.
0: From recollection, they reference the Vic Curric and stuff like that too, don't they? They do, yeah. so They've
2: got all of the um, curriculum in there and, yeah. All of the, the progression points and, and like standards uh, and,
0: yeah. Yeah. Yeah,
2: terrific. Yeah. So yeah. reporting-wise, it's, it's a good thing too.
0: So generally speaking, like what are the best parts of being – a performing arts teacher
1: oh my gosh, um, oh, there are so many good things about it. <laughs> there are so many yes, really really great lovely. things, and I think that my i don't know about you, sam, but my favorite one of my favorite things has been getting to know all of the kids in the school. that's mm. been such a yeah. important, valuable thing. The fact that I can you know eyeball every kid, know them by name, know who their brothers and sisters are you know what they're good at and what they're not, <laughs> you know, know how likely yeah. they are to do something or not have done something, those sorts of things. That's really, really a, a really, really special thing. Uh, I had a kid. Can I tell a story? Is yeah, that all right? Absolutely.
0: Yeah, <laughs> So We I, love stories on the program.
1: I start every one of my foundation classes by reading them a story. And this one particular week we'd read of the Unicorn. And as we were walking back to their room to pack up their bags and send them home, there's all these kids that were calling out to me, you know, hi, Miss Car, hi, Miss Car, hi, Miss Carr. And one of the boys, Ollie, little boy's Ollie, he looks at me and he goes, how do they they all know you? And I'm like, yeah, they all know me at this school. He goes, you're just like Thelma. You're famous. And I was like, you know what, I am like Thelma. I am Thelma. And, you know, it's just one of those nice little moments. I think that we sometimes take it for granted that we have those individual relationships with every single kid in the school mm. and that's a really, you know, special, valuable thing.
2: I would have to agree. I mean, I always love walking through the playground, especially on yard duty. You've always got someone to come up to you and go, hi,
1: Miss Reynolds,
2: hi, Miss Reynolds, or give you a hug. There's always a kid there that's willing to have a chat to you. You're never alone on yard duty, I must never. say. <laughs> oh, gosh, <Yeah>. Never. <laughs> Um. yeah there's always someone always a kid ready to give you a hello or tell their life story you know? I, know I think that's a wonderful thing
0: yeah I know that you know Elizabeth talked to me about how there's a lot of kids who might struggle with other um, subject areas mm-hmm. they might not be gifted yes. in literacy or numeracy you know where there's a lot of fanfare for progress and and improvement but they get a lot out of performing arts
1: I think sometimes it's not even the kids that struggle, those kids that are just middle-of-the-road coaster kids who are just, you know, nice kids, don't make a fuss, don't cause any attention to be brought to themselves. They get those moments to shine where everyone recognises them for being really good at something. Uh, and it is good to see our kids that are not the most academically inclined to be able to achieve something they didn't think that they could or recognise that they've got a talent in something. Like I've got a boy in grade five at the moment who is not academically inclined whatsoever. He's one of the sort of, you know, naughty boys. And one time <laughs> one time um, we were doing improv. We were playing, I think we were playing Bus Stop or something. And afterwards he he came up to me and goes, Miss Carr, I think I might have a talent for this. I said, Look, you know, I think you do.
2: And that was just like
1: a really, you know, nice moment of him recognising. And, you know, he probably doesn't recognise that all too often, that he's good at this. And I just, it's so special. I just, uh, my favourite thing about this job is that we get to see kids step outside of their comfort zone and sometimes they crash and burn and that's okay. And sometimes they, more than sometimes, most of the time, they get to, you know, exceed their own expectations. Mm.
2: Yeah, I definitely have those. um, We do a bi-yearly concert and I remember a lot of students going, I didn't really want to do this but it was amazing, I've had the best time. Um, (laughs) Those kids that were really apprehensive, like I thought I was going to be really scared but this was the best thing ever. Um, I remember one of the students who has behavioural issues and he's on the spectrum, the last dance performances that we did at the school, I wasn't there um, and they actually asked that student not to participate um, because of his behavioural issues. That's awful. It was awful and this that year that I did it, he was able to get up, he was able to dance and he was able to have an amazing time and that, that was just that made the whole production worthwhile. Like yeah. I couldn't care what it had turned out like. He got up there, he had the best time, he had fun. Like I had mums who have children on the spectrum and they were in tears watching their kid up there dancing, performing, having the best time. Like it's just those things that are just so rewarding um, for those kids who do fall under the radar or aren't academically up there with everybody else to actually shine and have a great time. And those are memories that you do remember from school. That's what I always think about performing arts as well. They're memories that I had from school was the production, was getting up there, having a sing-along with my classmates and things like that. They're things you remember.
0: So. Mm. Yeah, I remember back to some of the productions I've run and and you see the kids at the end of them, the improvement in their behavior their um their social skills their their confidence all these things that you know that aren't on a Vic cur- curriculum schedule of of learning you know that that aren't the most important thing on paper but you know they make the biggest difference to the kids
1: and you know what i think so much of because we do a school production every year at my school, and it's not a whole school; it's a grade five six production, and it went from being just a straight grade six production uh, to being five six when I went into performing arts because they had a five six cohort, it was just easier for me to organise it that way. And I've been doing the productions at my school since two thousand and twelve. Yeah, since two thousand and twelve. So a long time. I'm, I've got it's, a, it's down to fine art now. I've got it, um, <laughs> but. <laughs> it's It was interesting seeing that movement from it just being a straight grade six to being a five six production and seeing the fives that are always so hesitant to be involved um and then watching them in grade six be the most prepared students to take on this challenge because they've done it before and I think that it's just it's teaching kids responsibility. When you've got to perform, you have to be responsible for so many things. You know, if you've got lines, you need to know them. You need to know your cues. You need to know what side of the stage you're coming on, where you're going off, where your prop is. Mm -hmm. Do you need a prop? Do I need to get out of the way? Someone coming up from behind me? Like there's so many things. Where's my costume? (laughs) You know, and I think that there's so many things, organisational things that we have to teach the kids in order to put something like that on. Definitely. That's it's just such a valuable life experience. I think everyone should be in a show at some point in their life, and you can tell, like you can tell the people that have been and the ones that haven't, because the ones that have been get it. Mm. You know, they they understand yes, sure. the value of something like that, versus people that might not have been lucky enough to have had that experience in their life.
0: I think one of the best things I I can see out of being part of a production, in much the same way as we've talked in the past with uh, Lindsay Harvey about the RACV Energy Breakthrough and, you know, working on these really long-term projects is that, you know, there aren't many opportunities where a kid um, of primary school age will work on something over a long, you know, prolonged period of time. Mm. You know, a production, you're talking months and months. Yeah. Energy Breakthrough, you're talking, you know, most of a year Um because most of the time they work on something for an hour and that's it. They work on yeah. maybe they might be work on a project in class, you know, that goes for a few weeks, um, and then that's it. Or they'll make a diorama over a couple of weeks, you know. Um, but yeah, an, an activity like a uh, you know performing arts, uh, the the um, production, you know, it really it really stretches them to think about improvement over a long period of time to create an end goal. And I think uh, to me that's one of the best things they can get out of it.
2: It's definitely about um, stamina in their learning. Um,
0: Mm.
2: I I do find that particularly a lot of students will do one practice of their performance if we're doing something improv Mm. or whatever in a classroom, go, I'm done. Okay. (laughs) Um, Do you know where you're standing? Do you know this? Do you know that? Oh, oh, yeah. And then we get up there and we've got no idea. idea. Because sometimes, yeah, you've just got to throw them in the deep end for them to actually realise got to rehearse a bit more the meaning of rehearsing is to improve and refine just because we think we've got a good one time doesn't mean it's going to be you know perfect the next you know and that's a that's a learning experience all in itself
1: we had um for our school production last year with my grade five sixes we had without question the worst dress rehearsal that I have ever been a part of this was the day before the show (laughs) was on so I am already in a heightened emotional state (laughs) because it is such a stressful experience even if you've done it before trying to get all your ducks in a row to try and you know get the whole thing organized and at this point we didn't even have the sound working we had lights we had no sound um yeah so it was just a really stressful experience and then the kids were a shambles and you know what that was probably partially my fault but also equally their fault because they just I think they they just assumed that it would be fine and then we had to let them crash in that dress rehearsal yeah and they had to fail but you know like you know you love to say Brett you know we fail forward and they did they failed forward and after they came off the stage I sat them down and I spoke very very softly and they knew that they, it was bad because <laughs> that's what they always say, they, you know, Miss Carr, why are you talking so softly? I'm like, because I can't even yell at you right now. <laughs> like, and, I, and I said to them, you know, we're going to have to, I can't have people in to see this. This is embarrassing for you and for me and for our school. And they had to have that experience and you know what? In the end it was probably one of the best productions we've ever done but they needed to fail. They needed to make all of those mistakes because do you know what? They didn't make them the next day Yeah. because they That's knew... Right. They went, okay, that was wrong. Where do I have to be? Why didn't I come on for my part? Where are my shoes? Cinderella didn't even <laughs> lose her shoe in our dress rehearsal. Uh-huh. <laughs> I said to our Prince, I'm like, where's her shoe? She, he said she didn't lose it. I don't know. Oh, oh no. gosh. So, you know, it was it was an experience, but it was such a valuable experience for them and they, they really needed to fail and see how bad it was so that they could then... Improve it and make it better. Mm. And that's on them. Definitely. You know, we can give them all the tools as teachers. We can teach them till we're blue in the face, but it's up to them. At that point, I, I said to them, you know, at this point, this is your show. This is not mine anymore. I'm not on stage. You have to know what you're doing. And they did. They knew.
0: Yeah. Um, for our listeners out there, not only are Elizabeth and Sam remarkable performing arts teachers, but they also perform in amateur circles as well. And they do a pretty good job of that, I must say. But the thing you know that we, we know about being a part of that is that we don't work on the notion that you just need to learn something. You need to learn it so well that you can't forget it is the thing. Because mm-hmm. once you put the pressures of being on stage, you see that with the kids, they start to fail. They start to forget things and they've got to have that performance pressure to know what it's really like.
1: I think that as teachers, we try and help them through as much as we can. We want them to be successful. So we try and scaffold and scaffold mm. and scaffold until they're successful. But sometimes you've just got to let them do it. Let them make the yes. mistake. And it teaches so much resilience. And they were, they were definitely better for having had that experience of it sucking so badly at
2: the dress rehearsal oh gosh i'm surprised you lived through it i would have had a oh, heart
1: attack i, I cried remember. there were tears yeah just not in front of him yeah. i cried yeah. afterwards
0: <laughs> have you ever had any of those last minute experiences sam where the kids can't quite get it right
2: well i sort of gave the examples of the ones in class yeah. um i definitely i think that there's a lot of the scaffolding issues at our school. Um, They're quite competitive as teachers and as a performing arts teacher I don't necessarily have full control of the concert, which I'm hoping to change quite soon. Um, Whereas we had a lot of the um, staff members doing their dances during the last week of term before the the concert, uh, causing the kids to burn out. They were doing it for almost Three or four hours a day.
0: Really? Uh, which,
2: wow. Yeah, and it stops that enjoyment. And then you have add on the performing arts session as well. So we didn't have much in the way of probably our on stage, off stage is probably the biggest thing. But as you know, we're kids and we're learning, and we don't do much. They, the kids at our school don't do much on stage. So, but definitely, fall, failing forward is something that is a very good resilience tool. It's great for your growth mindset and it's something that really everyone should experience.
1: And I think also is that we, we bang on about resilience a lot as teachers but kids can't build resilience unless they fail at something. They, they've got to Absolutely. not be good at it to mm. be able to become resilient at anything, just in life uh, as a person. Yeah. And, you know, sometimes they need to have the pressure we try and like relieve pressure and make sure the yeah. kids are comfortable all the time but life's not like that and that's what performing arts is it's helping to create yeah. full complete people who can deal with stress and pressure and be able to know that it's going to be okay
2: yeah working under stressful circumstances for sure
0: yeah, yeah we know that you know, students parents do bubble wrap them a bit and um these these are opportunities for them to to grow as as kids as young adults learning to cope for themselves. But um, tell me, is there is there anything that you've learnt from doing theatre, you know, amateur theatre yourself, performing arts yourself as a as a hobby, um, that you take to your performing arts lessons?
1: Yeah, definitely. So I I am a very uh, nervous person when I have to perform. I've gotten much better at appearing like I'm not absolutely dying inside but I am constantly when I'm on stage I get very very nervous um so I can definitely empathize with the kids when they're on that verge of having a breakdown and we had one year um it was a few years ago we were doing a play of Robin Hood that was our grade six production at that point and I was this is when I was still teaching grade 5, 6. And we were doing Robin Hood and it was the week of the production and it was Monday morning. The show's on on Thursday. It's Monday morning. It's our first, like, big full run. We're going to run the whole show top to tail. And Robin just had a meltdown, complete, I'm not, I can't do this, I'm Mm. not doing it, you know, storm out, crying, poor grade six boy, hysterical. It just, the whole pressure of the whole situation got to him. And one of our other grade five, six teachers went out and talked to him and she came back in after a while and said, he's not doing it. What are we going to do? Said, well, the show must go on and we'll find someone else. So I'm like, you know what, for now, you know, whoever, Johnny, can you just stand in for him and let me go and talk to him? So I sat down with him and, and we I gave him a little bit of a pep talk and I basically just said, look, if you really don't want to do it, we can't make you do it, but you've put in all the work and I think that on Thursday when you see, you know, Johnny standing up there in your costume saying your lines, you're going to be really, really sad that you didn't do this. And after we talked about it for a little while, I, you know, I told him as a performer, I understand, I get it, but you're going to have to push through because you've already done all the hard work, you've learnt the lines, you've already done it. Now we've just got to put it on the stage. Mm. So it's And it's funny because a lot of these times when I'm giving these pep talks to these kids, it feels like I'm actually talking to myself, but, you know, we, we say these things and you just think, oh, that's, that's something I've got to remember to tell myself sometimes. Yeah. Oh, and he went on stage, by the way. He got up and he, he went, back in, he went back in and he performed and he was brilliant.
0: Yeah, fantastic. Hooray. Yay. Well done. I'm giving you a pat on the back.
1: Thanks. <laughs> how,
0: about you, how about you, Sam? Is there anything that you've learnt personally from your own, your own hobbies that you've taken to the classroom?
2: Not that I can think of off the top of my head right now. That's okay. <laughs> Sorry.
0: Sorry. That's all right. So I know that there's a lot of pressure to reinforce literacy and numeracy throughout specialist classrooms what are the opportunities to include literacy and numeracy skills in your performing arts classroom
2: there is an absolute you're including it regardless of what you're doing literacy and numeracy is in your classes Um, with literacy there's there is reading Um, there's also you know how to read with expression uh, you've got so many things like that that help the kids with their literacy and their numer- their numeracy skills. Uh, their numeracy skills, in fact, you've got your music. Learning how to read music can also help a lot with maths. Stage left, stage right, dancing, you've got your location words. There's just so much there that literacy and numeracy completes performing arts as well. It's yeah. not, you know, an add-on. You can't have performing arts without literacy and numeracy.
0: It's so juicy. It's, That's what I call it. It's juicy. There's lots to it, you know? Definitely. <laughs> there is, yeah. Can you give us some examples, Elizabeth?
1: Um, I was teaching music uh, formal notation of music to grade three fours and I had a boy, it's always a boy, isn't it? I had a boy in my class who I was working really a grade three boy who I was working really close with in like a reading recovery sort of program as well and like an intervention reading program. And he had a lot of trouble at the time sort of i think it was like a processing thing so he could understand he could tell you anything but to get it from his head to the paper or from the paper to his mouth was always an issue with his reading and anyway we were doing this um formal notation and we were going through the names of the notes you know a whole note a quarter note a half note and we were talking about you know a bar of music being four mm. beats and and it just you almost saw the little light bulb go off in his head and he goes oh so it's like fractions and I went, yes, it's exactly Yay. like fractions. And so he goes, oh, so in that bar then I could have four quarter notes or I could have a half note and two quarter notes or I could have a whole note or I could have two uh, quarter notes and two rests. And I was like, oh, my God, yes, 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 you could have all of those things <laughs> because it was just that little click where sort of, uh, scaffolded his knowledge from one curriculum area to another and that is always the thing that we are desperately trying to get kids to do is apply the knowledge that they've got yeah. to life, real-life situations. And it was that moment that he could do that and it was just like, oh, my gosh, praise Jesus. Like, <laughs> <laughs> and, and, yeah, and it just sort of clicked for him in that moment. So that was – that's still one of my favourite teaching moments of my performing arts teaching yeah. time.
0: Fantastic. That's awesome. All right. So it would be remiss of us if we didn't acknowledge what has happened this year to not only school, but to performing arts as well. We've had two remote and flexible learning periods this year in term two and term three. And it has changed the landscape of teaching completely. How has it changed for performing arts? I mean, we've got, Sam, you're working in a metro school and we've got Elizabeth, yes. you're working in a in a rural school, yeah. a um, country school. Mm-hmm. How, did, how did it affect your ability or your capacity to teach performing arts?
1: Well, I think that I can pretty safely say that performing arts is never the priority, ever. So Never. <laughs> So, uh, you know, as performing arts teachers, no one cares as much about our subject as we do. And it's taken a long time and a lot of frustration for me to get to that point of saying, that's fine, that's okay, I will champion this, that is fine. And I think that when it came to remote learning, I had a very different experience from term two to term three. Mm. In term two, we sort of tried to run as normal of a program as possible at my school for our specialist subjects and so they had a weekly performing arts session that I planned and I made videos for and you know it was you know in their planner and blah 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 uh, with submissions that hopefully we got (laughs) and I, I can probably say that I got maybe depending on the grade between 20 and 50% of students submitting work on a weekly basis and it was always the Mm. same kids. Like Mm. there are kids, of course, that I didn't hear from for the entirety of term two, but that didn't mean that they weren't doing the work. It just meant that they weren't submitting it. It did make report writing difficult when it came to the end of term two because we didn't have that evidence. But aside from that, it was... Generally speaking, we had to – I don't know about you, Sam, but I had to do a full reshuffle of my program of what I was going to do that term, and they were basically all doing dance – Basically, was, that was something they could do at home. That was also something they could do individually because performing arts is such a collaborative subject. We do so much work uh, in small groups and teams and as a whole class that then trying to translate that to being able to do something you can do by yourself at home is really difficult. Mm. So yeah. dance was basically something that they could do mm. by themselves. So I had all, you know, these whiz-bang projects and everything, things that they worked on for the whole term and, and. For the most part, it was you know relatively successful, but if you don't count the submissions as a measure of success,
0: yeah. was were those <laughs> that submission rate? What did you say up to fifty percent? Oh yeah, depending twenty to fifty on the or something. Class, yeah, yeah. Okay, so um, change obviously change class to class. Was that indicative of their their submission rate for the rest of the other subjects, or I think were so. performing arts specifically lower mm-hmm. than? You uh, know, performing literacy, arts and performing
1: that. arts were specifically lower. Yeah, but. It was the classes that had low submission rates, really low submission rates for me, had really low submission rates overall.
0: Generally, yeah. and would they would have had to submit videos and things like that. Is that right? Videos
1: or photos of yeah. what they'd done? Yeah.
0: Okay. Cool. Yeah. yeah. And did you find you got more more um, photos than videos, or um, or was it sort of?
1: Well, no. Well, no, not, not really, because I just asked for different things depending yeah. on the week that we were in, and. I thought that may, that one video or one photo a week was not asking too mm. much, but uh, you know, uh, according to the parent feedback that we got at the end of term two, so at the end of term two, our school sent out a survey yep. that basically just said, "How did we go with remote learning? What did you like? What do you want more of? What do you want to see less of?" Etc. Cetera, Etc. Cetera. And basically, the feedback was that. It was too hard. Performing arts was too hard. Not just performing yeah. arts. The specialist subjects were too hard to try and do at home. Even though I had made videos, I'd made it real easy, mm. like so easy. But, you know, that's fine.
0: And so, look, out of your term to curriculum, mm-hmm. how much, what percentage do you reckon you actually taught through remote learning?
1: I taught 100% of it. I don't know how much of it was done.
0: Yeah, like in a global sense, like of your curriculum that you would have taught in term two, did you, were you able to teach all of that?
1: Well, I remotely? shuffled around my terms. Yeah. So when I was going to do music in term two with the foundation students, I figured I've got the instruments. They don't have the instruments. So I moved that and then they did something else that they would have done in term three and we just flipped it okay. so that my curriculum for the year would stay the same. We were just going to do it in a different order. Mm. However, then term three happened and then, you know, we had to do a reshuffle <laughs> again.
0: So what about you, Sam, in your school? How did it look?
1: Yeah, so my school was vastly different.
2: Um, so I actually teach uh, semesterly. So I teach foundation to two semester one and three to six semester two. So. All right. All right. Fortunately, I was into my dance subject when we got to term two for the for the prep to twos. So that was good. I was like, awesome! I can still do run dance classes. Again, it was made very basic. So I I basically set it out that they learnt learnt to dance, and I did videos. Uh, I had my own website that they would go to, and. Um, our school had a policy where we weren't actually allowed to record the students. Mm. Uh, so I was not able to see any of the students performing at all. Oh no! Yeah. yeah so, so
0: yeah,
2: yeah. So I wasn't able to see dance technique. I wasn't able to see how they made their dance up. I wasn't able to see whether or not they could follow to the beat of the music. Or this if is they all. Did a it second. all? <laughs> did it all? Yeah. 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 This is this is assessment, right? So I'm thinking reporting, what am I what am I gonna do? Mm. This was a massive challenge for me. I had to come to peace with it because it was something that the school had chosen to do. So essentially I just assessed the kids on the um responding and interpreting part of the performing arts curriculum. Mm. So did you enjoy it? was the dance fast or slow, those types of questions were put into my showbie, which was where they submitted their work and hoped to goodness that they did it and if they didn't, they didn't and I had about the same with attendance. The uh, issues that we had was that showbie was not accessible to the grade prep to two students until week five of the term.
1: Yeah. They didn't they come uh, back in week six?
2: <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh no. So I set up a little printout with little Rubik like a sorry, like a activity board. By that time the kids weren't engaging online. I had maybe one kid in a grade prep class that would come on. Mm. Um, The grade twos were a little bit more switched on because they could do it a bit more independently than what uh, the grade preps could. And then the other thing on top of that was our school requirement was to have a WebEx or a Zoom every hour with each class. So mm-hmm. if I had 3A session 1 or oh, sorry, it would be Foundation, Foundation A session 1, Foundation B session 2, session 3 and so on, I would have to be online at 10 o'clock for Foundation A and wait there for 15 minutes to do an intro with them and talk to them about the activity then answer all their questions on Showbie and then hop on WebEx the next hour for Grade 2s mm-hmm. and do the same thing and answer their questions.
1: That sounds so stressful. My school, yeah, we didn't do anything like that at my school.
2: Yeah, it was um, quite stressful, not only for us, but for the kids and their parents. I think the our school was trying to keep as much normality as possible, but it was just not realistic for our, our cohort of kids. It wasn't realistic for the parents. Some were working in the morning and then had the kids in the afternoon, so they were doing their work later in the afternoon. It's just how life was working. And it just, those WebEx meetings every hour on the hour for us was just stressful and it was stressful for the kids. So, term two was quite stressful. Mm. Um, trying to find my feet and trying to work out how to put on a curriculum that's based on observation when you can't observe the kid uh, Observe, sorry, the kids.
0: <laughs> <Observe>. <laughs> okay. No, so, yeah, look, it sounds like, you know, you, you put the teaching out there, the content, but you had no way of assessing the kids at all no
2: yeah
0: no. Nah. so you don't even know i don't had... really even know you know you can't even rate the success of the program
2: unfortunately no not and not, you've got
0: not, some um, evidence haven't you elizabeth the videos and, yeah, and photos and stuff
1: yeah but yeah. then it was the the big problem would come when a student would say you know a grade three student in week whatever five mm. would say oh, I don't know what dance I'm supposed to be researching, thinking it's week five. I gave you all that information in week one. Go Mm. back to week one's drama lesson and watch the video. So I think the difference as well with, you know, remote learning one was that I was home, working from home 100%. So I wasn't Mm. travelling to work Mm. um, at all. So I sort of... My school was really supportive of us and, and I can't fault them at all throughout this whole mm. remote learning process because they were really great and we were all sort of trying to find our feet together. Uh, but remote learning 2.0 was very different from me because mm. with the difference in rules and the fact that I was in a rural school, not a metro school, means, meant that I was at work three days a week,
0: mm.
1: whereas I wasn't mm. in Term 2.
0: And and you said that um, your your school did um, they surveyed the parents' yes. attitudes to school school survey yes. type of thing mm-hmm. remote learning and did your school do the same thing Sam
2: yes yeah. yeah. yes we yeah. did do a survey as well and I,
0: and I know that you know my school as well did that that kind of surveying you know they they knew that they had a they basically just had a crack the first time round um mm. and and then everything they did from there was trying to refine the process so i know that by the sounds of it sam you had some rules that were in place that really you know restricted your ability to do your job i know that in at my school yeah. we had we had similar kind of rules which stopped us doing things like um having video conferencing with kids um mm-hmm. you know they, they were, they were, the, the schools are generally trying to protect Um, You know, the rights and the privacy and things Mm. of of teachers and families and and kids. But um, at the same time, some of these rules really um, restricted teachers in in a negative way. I know that in in my school, because it's such a large school, um, the moment they start making blanket rules for things, it makes it really impractical because not every part of the school works the same. They have different ways of working with kids. Um, and the kids mm-hmm. themselves have different needs. Um, so I know that you know certainly at my school um, they made huge improvements to the way we did things in in the second lot of remote and flexible learning. So let's hear the changes. What was the big difference for you? Elizabeth? So I,
1: I think that the big, the biggest difference for me was that in that survey that went out to parents, parents responded with the fact that it was too hard to do the specialist curriculum on top of, and too stressful to try and do that on top of everything else that they had to do mm. with the kids. Um, we were called non-essential by many parents. We were the non-essential Ooh. subjects. and That hurts. It really hurts. It really yeah. hurt. It Reading hurt. that feedback and just, you know, after we had tried so hard to make our subjects accessible to the parent, and we had our emails, and you know, they could contact us if they needed help. And we, I received contact, like uh, contact from parents uh, saying that something was too hard or asking questions. I received no contact from parents about that. Occasionally, I'd get sent, you know, an email from parents with students' work attached or something like that. Mm-hmm. We're a Compass school, so most of our work submissions went through Compass but occasionally parents would email me directly and that was fine or even just to say, you know, their child really enjoyed this lesson or whatever they were doing, which was always nice because we kind of get, as specialists, we kind of get pushed to the side a fair bit. So the decision Mm -hmm. was made um, in Term 3 that our subjects would be non-compulsory for students to complete Mm. as specialists (laughs) and I can see you, like, (laughs) dying through the camera. uh,
0: Can I I jump in and say, I always find it the strangest catch-22 when performing arts gets called non-essential because what do parents do when they get home? They turn on the television, performing arts. They watch the football. That's right. There's there's elements of performing arts in there. There is, uh, you know, they watch a movie. They get on Netflix, performing arts, and it's just like, Turn on the radio. Performing arts is a multi-billion dollar industry just in Victoria um, that, you know, you can't sort of say it's non-essential because it's so integrated into what we do. And yet, in an educational sense, It's not valued. doesn't rate.
1: It's not valued as a high priority, Mm. uh, which I understand. I get it. I I do. I understand that reading and writing and maths are the priority, which I fully understand. Um, But it was difficult to sort of feel like you weren't important anymore, like you weren't valued and that really kind of sucked. So the decision was made by my school to make us um, non-compulsory and we were told do not make any more videos, do not waste your time planning, Mm. do not plan for this term, Um, please make a grid of activities and just put it on compass um, and the kids can choose to do something from the grid if they want to Mm. and they can submit it if they want to. So the overwhelming... uh, message from parents was that there were too many work submissions they wanted less work submissions uh, just overall not just from us and at my school the specialist subjects are visual arts performing arts and pe so all of us Mm -hmm. all three of us specialists had a grid for every year so there was a foundation grid a one two grid a three four grid and a five Mm. six grid um and we sort of just posted them in week one and then That just, they did what they did with that if they did anything. And then I ended up doing another grid, I think in week six, just so they had it. So the grid had like nine activities on it. Mm. And then I just posted another one in week six. They had some fresh things to do for the last few weeks of school. Mm. And I had some, you know, feedback from parents. I had got some emails still, far less than I had before. But my job in Term 3 was not to teach Performing Arts. My job in Term 3 was to support the other teachers mm. at my school. And we can talk about that later if you want me to talk yeah,
0: about it Yeah, yeah, we'll definitely get to that. How about you, Sam? What did Performing Arts look like in Term 3 at your school?
1: Okay, yeah. So
2: based on our parent feedback, um, they didn't like the continuous WebEx meetings. So, you know, you might have PE, Italian and then your classroom teacher all in one day and the parents found that quite stressful. Um, So it was brought forward to the print class that we have a specialist day. The teachers, classroom teachers were not contactable on that day at all. Mm. That was their planning day essentially. And Tuesdays was specialist day. So any kid can hop online and they can go and watch the videos that we've made and complete the work that was given. So we were no longer required to do a WebEx meeting either. So that was a good, that was pressure off mm. as well in that respect. But we were still required to make a weekly video to show them what they needed to do for that session. So through the week, we were making our weekly videos. Um, and touching base with the kids on a Tuesday via Shobi. I found that to be a lot less stressful. I found that more of our kids were coming on. It was giving them an opportunity to just focus on specialists for the day. Uh, it was a lot Well, I had three to sixes, so I was upping the uh, year levels as well, so they were a bit more technologically savvy and knew how to use Shoby independently, whereas the young year levels don't necessarily know that. I had had to be creative and working out how to record things because, unfortunately, that rule was still in place. You could not record your, the children's faces, so I was all right, "Fine, we're going to do puppets." <laughs> so they made their own, they made their own puppets, and they hid behind a table, so I didn't have to see them. And all I could see was either their hands moving or finger puppets or whatever. At least I could assess something on voice and character and script design. So I had to be creative um, in that respect and projects and stuff for the upper year levels. I'm then now looking into radio plays, which Mm. is going to be really cool. So just things like that just to sort of – I had to be creative because I I can't see them. So it's all on voice Mm. Uh, now. Did your
0: your school give any particular reason why they didn't want video conferencing?
2: The reason why – was because they have not signed a waiver. The families have yeah. not signed forms. Uh, therefore, we weren't able to let them sign these forms. It was too short of a time. I'm not sure. Mm. Um, and therefore, they wouldn't let us record them. So, yeah. I mean, we'd get the sneaky one every now and again and then I'd just be like, thank you, Brett, for submitting this work. However, due to the school guidelines, I cannot have this photo on my computer. So I'd then remove it. And then the parents would know not to do that again. So do
1: you not have any photos of kids on your computer doing work or anything? That is bizarre. We do not have that rule at my school. We take photos and videos of everything. Mm. (laughs) Everything. Yeah. Oh, wow.
0: At my school, um, we had, as I said before, the blanket rule of um, the, the teachers could be on, and they're a bit like you actually, they're expected to be online at their teaching time for that particular grade yep. and they would just do a voice call with the class uh, or, the, or they could have hmm. the video on so the kids could see them but they weren't to view the kids and um, and it was, yeah, it was a really strange scenario and that, that rule sort of stayed in but I kind of yeah. thought that that rule was. Ridiculous. It was a bit ridiculous. <laughs> um,
1: I guess it's got
2: to do with digital. Yeah. Yeah. So, print so, or whatever it is
0: i was very fortunate enough that when the rules were written they weren't written for my area of the school i'm <laughs> <were>, um, teaching <laughs> preps so um the rules were written for the grades uh five up to ten and so i approached my principal and you know he recognized the need for us to evolve that you know he's quite progressive in his thinking so we considered ours a, a trial um we were lucky in the prep department because the kids being online required their parents to hook them up, that there was implied consent, that the, the kids weren't yeah. on there, you know, by their own hand, that because the parents put them online, it was it was implied consent and that. But, you know, I, I just know in my experience being able to see the kids and then be able to see you and that interaction, uh, it, look, it made a huge difference, a huge difference to their connectedness with school, um their teacher student connectedness they even got to see their friends as well which we know at Mm. this time with lockdown being the way it is that's one of the huge things they're missing out on is all that social stuff so i I feel very very fortunate to be in a school that was able to make those steps um and look it, it was a trial that you know that was very successful and I know that that's probably going to, you know, influence our decisions for the future. Should we find ourselves back in remote learning? Don't
1: ever say that. That's hard. <laughs> Do not even joke. Do not even um, put that out to the universe. Well, but,
2: I'm still technically remote learning next term well, mm-hmm. yeah, up until so you, week.
0: Yeah, our first oh, week back.
2: Week five? No. Yeah, oh, no, but you will be. You, you then will be, but
1: she's I'm three to six. six.
0: Oh,
2: you're three yeah. to six. So I'm still remotely learning term, oh, yeah, for this semester. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, yeah,
0: yeah.
2: So okay. I won't be on site at all, which I, which I'm dying. I'm, I want to go and see the kids, and yeah. I want to be at school, but not nah, not until week five or whatever until Mister Andrews tells us otherwise. Mm.
0: And so that was one of my big questions, you know, looking forward. What does term four look like? So for you, you're going to be stuck at home by the sounds of it.
2: Yeah. So. The issue that we had the Tuesdays this term of specialist day because we're such a big school uh, that's not going to work Mm. so we're heading back to um, the every hour classes because the three to sixes will need to still have their timetables and and however it'll work.
0: I know that you know merit and equity has been a huge consideration. With, with school, you know, with any school, you know, because you've got some staff that are on site and they would be doing their normal job, for instance, you know, yeah, the, what is it, the preps to preps twos to two. will be straight back on mm. um, mm-hmm. week two. And then you've got other staff members for their kids at the school will be working from home. And you know, how do you make that sort of fair and reasonable uh, in terms of work hours, um, you know, contact time, face-to-face stuff? How do you make that reasonably fair? I don't know. It's a big, big concern for schools at the moment.
1: Well, that was sort of what, um, in term three when with my remote learning experience, sort of what the specialists were contending with. Because when our prin came in to us and said, "Look, I don't want you to plan or do any videos mm. or anything for the whole term," we went. Then what are we gonna do? Like, <laughs> what are we? What do we do? No, but yeah. seriously, like, the teachers yeah. are planning up to their eyeballs and making videos for every single yeah. session. The classroom teachers, and what do we do? <laughs> like, yeah. that's not fair. No. Those other classroom teachers are going to be looking at us, going, "But what are they doing?" So the balance was sort of struck that we we had. Look, because I was in a rural school, and the the rules changed in terms of kids. Who could and could not be on site? We had, my school's got about 360 kids on a normal sort of day enrolled, and we had around 80 on site. Mm. So we had a huge number. We had a huge number of kids that were on site during this remote learning. So that was a lot of supervision that still needed to be done. So we had a prep class, a 1-2 class, a 3-4 class and a grade 5-6 class that needed to be supervised. So we did extra supervision, which is why I was on site three days a week mm. uh, doing that. Plus I did lots of videos for teachers, for classroom teachers. Like if they needed to do a read aloud mm-hmm. video, I said, look, I'll do it. That's fine. I'll do it. Um, I made lots of videos for kids for you know, student connectedness and well being and you, stuff. You
0: made a lot of um, well being calls as well, didn't you?
1: Yeah. So so I did some WebExes with kids that needed that extra support. So I had some kids that I would meet up with every or once a week, or once or twice a week on WebEx um, on the days that I was not at school supervising. I would when I was working from home, I would be on WebExes with kids. Yeah. So that was sort of how we balanced that merit and equity in mm. term three. But term four, I guess I'm lucky because we're all back. My whole school is back um, week one Mm. now because uh, regional Victoria has moved to the third step. So we're all back first week of term four, thank goodness. So that'll be good.
0: back on site.
1: Merit
2: and equity for us um, looked a bit different. Um, Yeah, classroom teachers um, were a bit confused as to what we were doing the rest of the um, week. Our Tuesdays were jam packed, full of classes, and then the rest of the week we were required to do PDs and um, planning videos, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. We were required to be on site, um, but they did a rotating roster. So we had we have eight hundred kids at the school on a normal day. Mm. Um, we only had about twenty kids that were on site during um, lockdown. And so we would have three teachers at the school and we would rotate through the teachers. And so it averaged out about two teachers would, sorry, it would average out that a teacher would go on twice during term three. Mm. And that's how it worked for on-site for everyone. Uh, Obviously, print class was different. They were rotating a lot more because there was always a print class on-site. And uh, yeah, Tuesdays was our main day and the rest of it was up to us And planning wise and I think that there was a bit of um, angst with the teachers. I sort of felt a bit of pressure to make sure that I was getting everything done and getting everything done to a high standard just so that I was was proving that I was working. I found it quite difficult to, well not difficult but I I had a pressure on myself to be like oh i'm going to i have to keep working keep working keep working keep working yeah. so
0: yeah i think it was definitely a like a difficult time like i know from my personal experience because everything changed so quickly normally teachers have a pretty good understanding of their role that what their job requires and most teachers will find that they have to do a lot of self assessment to determine their own successes because mm-hmm. we often don't get it from external sources like leadership to say you are doing all the things that you need to do correctly, well done. We have to <laughs> work that out ourselves. And I know that in remote learning periods, it was really tricky to know if we were being successful and, and completing all the things that we needed to do. Um, yeah, definitely. And, and everybody was doing lots of different things. So it's really tri- it was really tricky to hold up a yardstick and go, here's how we can measure whether a teacher is doing their job properly or not. Um, because Absolutely. it was different for pretty much everybody, uh, and I think you know the biggest one of the biggest assumption is that if you're not teaching, um, that you're doing nothing. Like the amount of planning yeah. <laughs> meetings I was involved in, and talking to parents and talking to teachers, you know, to help them get through it. Um, mm. You know, and all the videos you have to make, and all of these things that people don't see, but you are still doing. You know, it's like that that old duck on the water where you don't see the legs kicking away um, furiously, but up on top, it just looks like nothing's happening, you know? Yeah, I find that really interesting. So we've got some really interesting ideas about remote and flexible learning and the impacts it's had on on us as teachers. Do you know what? We've talked so much today. We've done what good teachers do, and they just talk and talk and talk, and (laughs) we love that, but practically speaking, we're going to need to wrap up this session. So... What we're going to do is we're going to come back for a second part of this episode, and we're going to look at what were some of the surprises that we had during remote learning, some of those really fun, positive experiences, uh, because it's not all doom and gloom. And we're also going to talk about um, the use of technology in the performing arts classroom, talk about the apps of the week, and we'll also have a talk about the mental health moment. So that'll be all up on our next episode, our split episode about performing arts. Thanks very much to Elizabeth Carr and Sam Reynolds for joining us today on the program.
2: Thanks for having uh, me. <laughs> we'll be
1: back.
0: You will know. <laughs> be. Thanks, guys, and we'll see you shortly. Bye-bye.
1: Bye bye. Bye. Bye.